excited. They just weren't interested. Anyway, um, I'm glad that you're so nice to us because you all came back. <laughs> We're going to go through some case studies with three banks. Um, Danska and Nordea, you've probably heard of. Cleveland Bank, you probably haven't. Or if you have, you probably don't know much about them. Um, Sergi Danielenko, who is my friend, uh, is the head of marketing for their technology division. And I say he's my friend because I got invited to Novrovatovsk in Ukraine at the end of 2014, organized by Sergi and his colleagues. And they made me a rock star in Ukraine. Um, which is a bit weird to say because like, I'm just an old guy talking about tech. Um, but he said, no, 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 you know, you've got 20,000 people signed up for your webinar, including priests and coal miners. <laughs> and when I arrived at the bank, they had this big poster with my face on it. And I was like, uh, this is strange. And um, it's kind of made me one of the biggest Russian-speaking YouTube webinars on fintech ever, I think. Number now. one, definitely. Yeah, it's been viewed 30 or 40,000 times now. It's 1500. Huh? More than 1500. Oh, God. <laughs> it keeps growing. There you go. There you go. So I'm, I'm bigger than Ukraine. Um, and also, it's a great country. Uh, unfortunately, a little bit uh, an issue in the east at the moment, but hopefully it'll get sorted out. Um, but that's not what we're going to talk about, because what I discovered in Privet Bank is um, a really interesting bank in the Ukraine as a retail bank, one of the largest retail banks um, with a branch network. Uh, and interesting aside is that they are also one of the largest used car dealerships in Ukraine, because they sell second-hand cars on their branch forecourts. And that's part of their mentality of doing loans, because you get the loan as you get the car. They also act as a kind of Amazon click and collect distribution network through their branch network. So they have quite a difference of mentality. But the specific difference in mentality is that they have the Ukrainian bank, then they have the global technology division head office in San Francisco, Silicon Valley. Yes, yeah? Redwood, yes. And um, this is the bit we're going to talk about here because it's moved from being a large retail bank in Ukraine to being a global marketplace solutions company in the tech space. So, enough said, Sergi. Yeah, Explain thank more. you so much. Thank you. My name is Sergi. I'm actually holding two titles. I'm really chief marketing officer in private bank, which is classic retail bank in Ukraine. It is one of the largest banks in Eastern Europe with 60 million active customers. But also I'm chief operating officer in this new company that Chris mentioned. The name of the company is Middleware and Corazoid is a product of this company. I will tell you the whole story in a minute. To begin with, let me talk a little bit about reptiles. <laughs> reptiles were happy, they had a reptilian brain called cortex. Cortex was a good thing, it allowed reptiles to get food, sex, and safety. However, reptilian legacy systems failed to adapt to rapid changes. We believe that the majority of modern companies are reptiles. Very often they are happy with the existing status quo, they are happy with the existing revenue streams, but we believe that for a modern company, in order to survive, it's necessary to create a neocortex. They're bat snakes. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. A neocortex. Uh, that is a synonym of digital core that is Chris writing about in his books. Well, in our definition, a digital core or a neocortex 
is an API-based, cloud-based thing, platform, that lets companies to adapt fast to constantly changing business environment. We did that in private bank. Actually, perhaps private bank was one of the first banks in the world to open APIs. The first APIs were opened in the year 2008. If you go to api.privatebank.ua, it's not in English, but here is the list of APIs, payment APIs, pay by installments API, and other APIs that people can play with. Nowadays, Private Bank is perhaps the first bank in the world with a cloud-based backend. We made the next steps, and I will talk about it, that APIs have a dark side, and it's necessary to make the next step and start thinking in terms of processes, not APIs. Let me describe in brief the battlefield as we see it. These are some major trends that we think are important and just some facts that are relevant to our today's discussion. Okay, we have European PSD to director that says open APIs. API is a cool thing. They can boost the speed of innovation. However, the problem with API is that API is not a product. Process is a product. If we take, let's say, P2P money transfer process, it can have maybe eight or 10 APIs under the hood, inside. And you need to do a lot of hard coding to make all those APIs play well with each other. The next important fact. The world of backend processes is fragmented. We have approximately 30,000 financial companies and banks all over the world, and developers in these banks do the same job, coding again and again. 30,000 identical internet banks, mobile banking apps, B2Ps, money transfer services, anti-fraud solutions, again and again. Every time Visa or MasterCard present a new API, it results in massive hard coding of duplicates. It results in 30,000 identical updates all over the world. The next thing, I will just read this quote. Uh, that is a quote by Deutsche Bank CEO. He says, around 80% of 7,000 or so applications have been outsourced to thousands of vendors. Design has occurred in silos with the application of little or no common standards so that our systems are disjointed, cumbersome, and far too often just plain incompatible. Another trend that is happening, commoditization and standardization of banking processes. There is a contradiction nowadays. If we talk about cards, banks do not reinvent cards. They issue absolutely standard Visa and MasterCard cards all over the world. The same goes with POS, terminal technology, ATM protocols, they take these as standard products. So we believe that APIs need to be wrapped up into commoditized templates and put on a shelf in some sort of a global marketplace of processes and algorithms. We need to have standardized internet bank, anti-fraud solution, mobile wallet. Actually, Visa started doing that. <coughs> the title of my presentation is How Visa is Killing banks and why digital core can be a game changer. So that is a part of the question why Visa is killing banks. If you go to developer.visa.com website, you can see 
a lot of APIs that are publicly available, presented by Visa right here. But if you scroll to the bottom, they say, Marketplace, coming soon. And they plan to launch that within a few months. And that can be a first step in this direction. Actually, private bank was and is a long-term partner with Visa, and we already agree that we will put our processes on this shelf in a global marketplace so that banks from all over the world can take these templates with net three APIs inside. That is another example. Visa pushes white label commerce app. 40 banks in the United States, half a year ago in June, received from Visa 40 white label e-commerce apps. So Visa started distributing not only APIs, but other banking products. And the last important trend that I want to mention is messengers. I talked a little bit about the backend part. Now what about the front end? Messaging is the fastest growing behavior. People spend more time in messengers than they even spend in social networks. We have few B messengers, billion user messengers that are used by one billion active users and more. And there are other messages that are approaching this figure. And definitely, this type of front-end is much more popular than native banking app. So what we have here, what we observe, is that banks are losing control over the back-end that goes to such players as Visa. And they lose control over the front-end. The control over the front-end goes to those who control global front-ends, messengers, smartphone manufacturers like Apple. For some banks, that is bad news. Banks are turning to pure service provider companies, like companies that produce electricity. We don't know the name of the company that produces electricity. In future, why would we not know? Why would we need to know the name of our bank? The name of our bank in future might be Visa. Good news for some banks is that they would be happy to find themselves in a situation where they do not need to pretend to be IT companies, to hire programmers, to manage data centers. They could get these processes from any kind of global marketplace, like Visa Marketplace, in the form of standard products and enjoy equally high IT solutions all over the world. So for those banks who want to maintain control over the processes, we think it's necessary to create a digital core. That is a screenshot from Chris's blog. A digital core will deliver real-time leverage through APIs into all of the bank's products and services. And that's exactly what we did in the case of Private Bank when we wrapped up our APIs into processes. Let me show you a few examples. That is just the average scheme of IT architecture of any bank. In the bottom, we can see core systems, deposits, payments, accounts, and cards, credits. That is the front ends, online bank branches, call center. We created Quarizide right here, like a digital infrastructure layer, API driven, that lets to connect these systems if they can be connected at all. If not, well, we need to replace that. We connected these systems to, through APIs to Quarizide. Then we started to set up the logic of what needs to be done in this layer just playing with APIs, which is good for real-time event processing. And then we push data to external front-ends also through APIs. What we say is 
old word is over. Stop hard coding, stop writing code. Right here, we have invented these basic components. We call them smart nodes. And you can plug in APIs to smart nodes and assemble algorithms in the cloud instead of hard coding. I will show you in a moment how it looks like. P2P money transfer process. Here is a list of APIs. These are APIs by Visa, Visa APIs. And that is the algorithm of P2P, a part of algorithm. Actually, it's 24 pages. And to hard code that takes, I don't know, many months, maybe years. Let me do some real-time demo. I mentioned that the platform is cloud-based. It runs on AWS on Amazon within Amazon ecosystem. A part of it runs on-premises in the bank. So we have hybrid infrastructure. I can just log into the system and start playing with APIs. I press create a new process. That is processes editor. These are smart nodes, and I just click here, API call, and I just copy-paste any random API address. Let me take currency exchange rates for Bitcoin. I just copy-paste this URL right here, and I press deploy button and switch to test. It's right here, and now I can see currency exchange rate for Bitcoin. Now I can go back to editing the process and add additional logic here. Let's say condition. If the currency exchange rate for Bitcoin is more or less than the specified parameter, go here, otherwise go there. So people play with this sort of smart nodes to set up actually any algorithm that can be imagined in the bank. Let me show you a more sophisticated example. That is an example of process that handles in real time the logic of transactions that take place in private bank. People are using the cards to pay all over the world, and Corazoid applies additional logic to every transaction. For example, if you fail to pay online, you will immediately get a notification to a mobile banking app with a question, would you like to increase your credit limit? You press OK, and the credit limit is increased. All the, all, everything is done thanks to a number of APIs and can be changed easily on Corazoid backend. Mobile banking app, in this case, works as the front end. And that is the real-time dashboard. It shows people using their cards right now in Ukraine. So we handle approximately 1,000 <coughs> transactions per second with this type of architecture. Real-time dashboards come as a part of Corizoid because every time you create a smart node, it has counters, and you assemble these dashboards easily. Uh, definitely, I have permission to show this from, from private bank. It's, it's alive, it's working. And if I want to change anything, 
I don't write. I don't need to write a technical specification and wait in a queue, or just or, or even go to IT department. I can move these nodes. Delete, add additional logic, and that's what Chris mentioned. When we deploy something, we do not deploy a monolith. We just deploy a few new blocks. We test them in separate test environment, and we just add plug in this part of the logic. The same goes with our mobile banking app, which has uh, Messenger on board, with bots, with NFC wallet. It's a front end for Corizoid. Also, we re-engineered our old version of Internet Bank. So now it runs on the ideas behind microservices and APIs. These are technologies we're using for the front end. Everything else is assembled in Corizoid. When somebody has an idea in the company, in private bank, he just goes to the IT department and asks a question. Do, uh, do you, do, can you provide me these APIs that I need for my process? And then this uh, person plays with APIs. Sometimes developers help to create a more beautiful algorithm. Frankly speaking, it's very hard to talk to the banks because we come to a bank and say, do not hard code anything. Uh, you can assemble things from smart notes, and IT guys say, say uh, do you want to leave us, leave us without the job? <laughs> we, we are happy, we are maintaining these things, everybody needs us, so sometimes it can be hard. Uh, these are different modules. You can do P2P transfers, manage deposits, check balances, you can call a taxi, pay utilities, you can even buy beer in a mobile banking app. Uh, these are all API-based components that you can plug in, plug off. And the last slide, these are two terms that I like a lot. Zero latency organization, that is a term presented by Gartner, and ambidextrous organization. Ambidextrous organization <coughs> is very efficient in its management of today's business and also able to adapt for tomorrow's changing demand. That's what we are doing with Horizon. That's what Chris put on his slide when he talked about Charles Darwin at Evolution that those companies survive who can adapt fast. Thank you. Thank you, Zoe. Um, again, I'm not sure if anyone wants to raise or clarify any points, uh, which was raised through Zoe's presentation. But one thing I will say is that you, I, I just remembered you were the guy who sent me the Anderson Horowitz podcast, I think. Yes. And so microservices architecture is at the heart of what private bank are doing here. And when I describe that podcast and what it means in terms of having the two pizza teams, agile development, I think you've just seen that in action. Um, how would you describe the bank's attitude towards developments and, and microservices architecture? I mean, you've outlined a little, little, little bit there, but you know, is the chief executive going to sign off on, on everything, or how, how does it work? Uh, yeah. Uh, chief executive officer is is a very digital person. <laughs> he knows uh, what API is. I believe that he can assemble even a few processes in Horizon. And yes, this innovation is distributed from the top level of organization. It started a long time ago, actually in the middle of 90s, when people in the bank read the book with the speed of thought by Bill Gates, I think the title of the book, and we decided that we are a IT company that is in banking business. Nowadays, it's a common world. Many companies say so, but 
that was what we believed from the very beginning. Pruitt Bank is quite a new bank. It was founded in 1992, right after Ukraine gained independence. So we didn't have uh, 200 years of history here, but for Ukraine it's quite an old bank, and we adopted this way of thinking from the very beginning. Any comments or thoughts? How, how open is Corazide? Uh, is it completely open to the outside now, or are you yeah. looking at that? No, I, I showed you, you just go to Corazide, it's open. Uh, you just log in using your Google Plus account and you can play there. Okay. Again, very reserved today, but uh, I've got one final question because there's a gentleman I met when I went to Neprovotosk um, and you'll, you'll, you'll know who I mean who's your like um, rocket scientist yeah, mastermind yes yeah so um, who drives the company it kind of goes back against this leadership thing that having met the CEO and some of the team um, I get the impression that um, you know you've got a, a, a team within the bank that's really allowed to just get on with whatever they want to do in their vision uh, yes uh, well CEO is very digital, but he's responsible for running day-to-day -day operations and for many other things. We have an R&D department headed by Alexander Vichis, gentleman that you mentioned. Uh, this R&D department was created in late 90s. He created, Alexander created that from scratch because he wanted to experiment. Uh, he's genius, I believe. Uh, he knows a lot of stuff about math, how the things work. Uh, and he keeps creating new innovations every single week. <laughs> I, I can talk f about this stuff for for a long time, and, and it's it's so. There is Alexander. Yeah, that's that's Alexander. He creates these things every week, and they are very crazy. And, <laughs> and I need to explain this. Uh, and uh, are the department of the bank? Yes, it's it's a sandbox when people play with the ideas, combine all these other things. Horizon was created to solve internal issues. It's later we decided that other people might need and love this product. Uh, and we have a classic IT department, which is separate from R&D department. Classic IT department uh, is uh, responsible for day-to-day -day operations. They maintain servers. Sometimes they also create cool stuff, uh, but their spirit is there in R&D. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Sergey. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. So um, I think you get the idea that they're a little bit, a little bit different to the normal banks that uh, I encounter, certainly. And it's true, um, I'm often asked where's the most innovation taking place, and the answer is in Asia, um, particularly in China.